We back with another From Hood to Good episode. This week, I got a real special one lined up for you guys. I'm telling you, man, I'm going to put y'all on to something you wasn't even aware of. That's how dope this episode is about to be. I got Yacht Captain. Yes, you heard me right. Yacht Captain. MillionDollarCollar.com. GoTylus.com. I mean... It's just so amazing the people that this is introducing me to And I'm so happy to share this with you guys On the line this week, we got the one and only Rob Kessler Rob has an invention Oh, I forgot to even mention that My man is an inventor You don't want to miss this week It's so jam-packed with so much information I mean, Rob is going to talk about how to be persistent What to do with profits Developing your business Oh man, guys, yo Keep listening And make sure you check out the show notes Because a lot of the info is in there Make it easy for you Just hit that click button So y'all know I got your back Your boy Ronnie Jacks Stay tuned and check it out Rob Kessler, no doubt Yeah, yeah, what's going on world? We back with another From Hood the Good episode it's your boy, Ronnie Jacks, and I got another special, special episode lined up for you. Not going to tell you his name just yet. I'll tell you his credentials, and that may get you a little excited. Inventor. Now, I'll just stop right there. Inventor. When you invent something, you got a lot of inventors. Inventions change the world. Captain. Yacht captain. 50 ton. That's not something you see every day. And successful entrepreneur. I, I don't want to get too long-winded here because we like to keep it a little simple. Keep it organic, ladies and gentlemen. We have Rob Kessler in the building. And I'm not going to get into his inventions just yet. We're going we to ease into it and, and go smooth. Let's just let's just start out, Rob. Just say what's up to him, Rob. You know what I mean? I'm happy to have you here. What's up, Ronnie? How are you doing, man? Been, uh, it's uh, catching me first thing in the morning, so I'm stoked. I'm, I'm ready to have a good time. Awesome, awesome. So, um, Rob, let's just come right out. We were doing the analytics. We, um, a lot of our listeners are young, dash- dashingly men, such as yourself. <laughs> and we would like to know how you met your fiance, because I, I see a lot of um, entrepreneurs. It's not just one person. They're married, which, you know, is a, a, I see that happening a lot. So can you touch on that just briefly, if you got a second? Yeah, absolutely. So Linda and I, um, we were actually in two plus year relationships with other people and both pretty unhappy. Um, We just happened to cross paths and thank God we did. Um, We met at, we had a lot of mutual friends. We Mm -hmm. met at the beach playing volleyball. I was actually kind of flirting with another girl that I used to talk to that I hadn't seen in a while. and then I found out I was in real estate. Linda was looking to maybe buy some real estate. So we started talking about that. And then we would start mm-hmm. meeting up and talking about real estate and talking about things. And just found out that we had a lot in common. We wanted to go uh, a lot in the same directions. I was going off to my cousin's bachelor party out of town. And that night I had to deliver shirts for my screen printing company and gotten another huge fight with my girlfriend. And so mm-hmm. I went out to this bar to deliver these shirts and uh, lo and behold, Linda was there. And so I hung out with her until I left for that trip. I spent the whole weekend texting her, came home early to spend some time with her. And, and we both had at that point said, you know what, it's time to like get rid of these other people and get together. Short and sweet. I, I like that. Um, yeah. So now no that overlap. we didn't do anything. We were good. No overlap. <laughs> we're still almost 12 years later. So. Oh, okay. Okay. So for you gentlemen out there, there's still hope. Just keep hope alive. Just want to let y'all know that. So now that that's out the way, um, we're big on routines here. We call it a playbook. Keep it a little sporty. Um, can you tell us what your day looks like, your typical day? How does your routine work? You know, what is a typical day for you? I have to take a shower in the morning. Even if I, like, you know, work on my house or I'm totally sweaty or I go play sports at night and take a shower before I go to bed, I have to take a shower in the morning. It is just mm-hmm. what it's my mind started that the day is going and I have to get dressed. You know, if I just wear a tank top and shorts and, you know, live that Southern California beach life, it just doesn't get my mind in the, in the, in the mindset. So dress shirt, usually jeans, 
I try to look good. Even if I don't leave the house, it just makes me feel like I'm doing business. So uh, those are two things that I really have to do. Mm-hmm. Any specific time you wake up or is that just open? Uh, I am not one of those. If, if I wake up to the alarm, I'm, I'm a mess all day. So I wake up when I wake up. It's usually between 7 and 730 um, you know, if I'm feeling a little tired, I'll lay in bed for another half an hour, but that's kind of the beauty of doing my own thing. Um, mm-hmm. so, but you know, it's up and into the shower and get the day started. So we're trying right. to work in yoga and we've got our little yoga spot, but I mm-hmm. think I've only done it twice so far. So, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's awesome. Like the shower, getting dressed. Now you're dressed. You're not still in bed mode where. The day is passing and you're like, okay, now, okay, oh, we could, we could use that stuff. Um, so now the world want to know, why do you hate ties so much? What is it about ties? Like, was it something in your youth that happened? <laughs> I don't know. Why do you hate ties? I, I used to sell cars. I don't know if it was, you know, being 22 years old and being forced to wear a tie every day to, to mm-hmm. sell cars. I just felt like, give me a chance to talk and you'll know who I am and trust me for me. And what I wear, you know, a tie around my neck doesn't, you know, equate to me knowing what I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. I just have never really liked them. I like the a little bit more casual look, but I hate mm-hmm. sloppy. And so um, I just, I just don't like where I literally have worn one tie in the last probably 10 or 12 years. And it wasn't even on my wedding day. It was to go to Magic Castle in Los Angeles, which is an invite-only place, but you have to wear a tie. Mm-hmm. I almost didn't go, but I had to go. I had to go check it out. Okay. So I hear you mention your wedding day, and, like, I've, I've looked into it, and can you take this time out and explain your business? to Because I've learned that it's a bit of a learning curve. I, I will tell you this, guys. Rob showed me a problem that I had no idea that I had, and thinking back, I'm like, man, it was just awkward to have this problem, but I didn't realize it. So I know it's kind of an educational curve there, but can you tell us your business, how that came about, how did it start, what happened, the backstory behind that? Yeah, my friends tell me that all the time. Thank you for making me acutely aware of a problem I never knew I had. <laughs> so I got married on the beaches of Jamaica. Um, mm-hmm. Again, my wife and I are really casual and fun, and we weren't doing that whole, you know, wedding big monster day we wanted a week-long party and so we got married in jamaica toes in the sand obviously no tie i had a brand new freshly pressed shirt on and i didn't even get to say i do before i noticed it was a crumbled sloppy mess in the front mm-hmm. and the reason is because tie uh, dress shirts were designed to be worn with a tie buttoned all the way up and you know worn with the tie so they never had to worry about structure where the buttons and the holes are that part of the shirt's called the placket and so I came home from my wedding in Jamaica. I saw that my sh- pictures looked terrible. Uh, I cut open a dress shirt. I shoved the piece of cardboard down the front. And that was the idea for million dollar collar. Um, I mean, who doesn't want to look like a million bucks, right? So <laughs> I knew the cardboard wasn't going to be the fix. And so I started testing every plastic in my house. I would cut it, shove it down my shirt. I mean, milk cartons, mini blinds. I had a little flexible cutting board, like any plastic I could find around. I tried that wash it, dry it, send the shirt to the dry cleaner, and then it would just melt to the shirt and I ruined that shirt. So after going through the house, I went through every plastics company and just tested all the plastics they had, kept melting to shirts. And I finally had to partner with a company because dry cleaners turns out use between 400 and 450 degrees of steam to flash press your shirt before they give it back to you. And even high heat plastics melt at 275 to 300 degrees. So I ended up developing a plastic type material that can handle almost 700 degrees, which is double what they use at dry cleaners, nearly double. So uh, mm. it's, think collar stay, except nine inches long and it goes down the front of your shirt. So like, as you mentioned that I'm hearing, first of all, it's like, how, like, how did you know that was a market? I mean, because it's, it, it sounds like a lot of work. I'm, I'm sure it is to develop a plastic that doesn't even exist. And I know you, went through some patent issues as, as far as developing that. I mean, I, there's a lot to, we could, we could uncover, unravel here with that. But um, like, how did you, what was your mindset as 
when when you realize this problem, like how did you um, say this could be a market? A lot of guys have this. Like, can you take us there for a little while? Yeah, I mean, look, it starts with you. I mean, I think most inventions that are just everyday things that you don't even think about is a frustration that somebody had and said, there's got to be a better way. Um, then I start looking at dress shirts and in 2019, a billion dress shirts were sold in the U S alone. And I look at my closet and I think, well, what's the most versatile thing I have? Well, it's a dress shirt. If I want to go out to the club and be casual, I can wear a dress shirt. I can roll up the sleeves. I can tuck it in. I can untuck it. I can wear it with a tie. I can, you know, there's just so many different ways to wear a dress shirt with a vest, with a jacket, with slacks, with jeans. I mean, to me, it's the most versatile thing a guy has. And to me, it was the one thing that had been totally forgotten about. And so, you know, I made this for me and I, my dad came out of the woodwork and said, Hey, uh, dude, I'll invest in that and gave me a little bit of seed money. Uh, I had a, another partner in a different business. It was like, that is legit. And he gave me some seed money and said, I want to be a partner in this. And all of a sudden this momentum kept going because it took almost three years to patent and to perfect the product that I have. So it's not like this just happened overnight and it was, you know, two, three weeks of, of work. It was three years of testing and figuring out what would work, what didn't. I mean, if you look at the variations of the design of it, it, it's insane. You're like, how did you even think about that? But it's right. a universal fitting piece. It sold almost 400,000 sets and not ruined one single shirt anywhere in the world. So, so I mean, like three years is quite a while to develop something that doesn't exist with the, with so many challenges. What was your mind like to not give up on Hey, man? No, this is like, okay. From the time when you, uh, your dad gave like invested with you, your partners invested with you. What was the um, time frame between them, you showing them the product and them saying, hey, that actually does look like something? Like, what was the time frame? Of that? And I, think I'm, I was six months to a year into the development, um, you know, and it was starting to become something. I still hadn't really even worn a shirt. I mean, look, even in between the time that I came home from my wedding and we had a little reception back home, I had I still had a sloppy shirt. So... <laughs> it was it was a slow process. I mean, I had a full time company that I was running, uh, nude custom printing. It was N E W D, stood for nothing else will do. I had a screen printing and embroidery business, and so I was running that all day long. And when I had some time, I would futz around with you know the plastics and the products and testing mm-hmm. things. And, um, you know, to me, I, I guess if you're passionate about what you're doing, it doesn't matter how many roadblocks you come up against, you're going to be able to keep going. It's the people that are in this money that are, those are the ones that will give up in an instant. Um, You know, I like to do giant monster, huge puzzles, like 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 piece puzzles. And Mm -hmm. I'm working on, you know, God's creation, a man from the Sistine Chapel. And there's probably five or 6,000 pieces of white. And it's just like, testing and trying and trying and trying. Oh, I got one. And then, so I'm really stubborn when it comes to setting a goal and accomplishing it. And so again, if you're in it for the passion and you want to make it succeed, you're going to find a way to, to get through all the no's. Right. Right. So, um, Rob, and, and feel free to stop me anytime. I'm going to go a bit off script, um, with, with, with these next set of, cause I'm, I'm just curious. The name of our show is From Hood to Good, you know. So a lot of our listeners are faced with failures, tend to give up. Um, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs who that's a part of the game. You know, you're, you're going to fail. Can you tell us about some of your failures? Like, what did they teach you? And like just a few or one or two or even the main one, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know. My whole philosophy on life is focus on solutions. And even my wife and I butt heads sometimes because she'll come home and say, oh, this happened to me. And I'm so mad this happened to me. And that happened to me. And okay, it happened. Now what? What do we do to get past that? How do we get around it? What do we know? And how do we make it better? And so when you focus on solutions, I think that is what can really change your outlook and keep you positive. because. The, the problems can drag you down and drown you. 
but mm. solutions give you an opportunity to get creative and to find a way out. Look, my dad and I have gone through some times where I didn't talk to him for probably five or six years of my life of, of my main teenage, you know, developmental years. And he said some things to me that no father should ever say to a son. Um, and it made me question life. It made me question what I was doing on this planet. And, um, you know, it, it, it's not always easy. But I think if you look back at the bigger picture and figure out, I'm not going to let this thing defeat me. I'm not going to let this one thing be the thing that holds me back from who I think I can be. Uh, and it's, it's sad to hear when people choose the other route. Um, but I, I think that there's just, you know, Gary Vee says you're about 400, 400 trillion to one to be born as a human right now. That means that you've won every lottery on earth and you've got one shot at this life. And to me, that is all the motivation I need. My wife and I've lived three lifetimes in our 12 years together. We've done, started multiple businesses, sold multiple businesses. We're just about to sell our yacht charter business in Los Angeles. We've done all kinds of stuff. We've moved three times across country. We're in Atlanta, Georgia now. Uh, I mean, we've just done all kinds of stuff. And it's like, because why not? Like you got one shot at this life, dude, don't sit at home, work a nine to five for 60 years and retire and think that that's what life is. Life is not. It's about adventure and adversity and challenge and, and hearing a thousand no's. How did this all start? Like, how, like what's your, what's your background? I mean, not background per se, but how did that entrepreneur spirit come about? I know you started a business. Well, you didn't start a business, but you were working in high school, I believe, um, at a soccer store. And how did that entrepreneur bug kind of bite you and like this whole thing evolve? Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I think my dad is an entrepreneur. Um, so I saw that. I saw all the struggles of that. Um, and I think that's what led to some of our battles was his business was his number one child, even though I'm named after him. Um, I have aunts that are, that are aunts and uncles that are business you know, people. My grandma started one of the biggest uh, bridal shops in Detroit. She made two two wedding dresses and sold those two, and then made four and sold those four and made eight. And she she just did it. And so I've got uh, a nice little support crew around me. Um, but even when I was like 12, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, cutting lawn, it started with my dad's house, and then I would do the neighbor's house, and I would cut that lawn. So, so I would think someone's going to stop me and say, man, you are really cutting this lawn. Great. I want you to cut my lawn. And that's what I did when I was cutting the grass, you know, at 12 years old. And so I just thought about everything. I think a little bit differently than most kids did, but getting into that soccer and volleyball store day one, I was hired at 17 years old. The guy handed me the keys to the store, handed me a, a code to the alarm and said, you're part of this now. And he really let me develop where I felt comfortable. Uh, I and mean, we had two locations and I ended up getting a lot into like the ordering and the accounting side. And I got to learn that side of the business at 17, 18 years old, which I don't think most people have that opportunity. So I took that and kind of ran with it. I just put myself, I think I, I like to say I stack opportunities, you know, I'll, I'll put myself out there. Um, you know, I was a freshman or sophomore playing soccer, varsity soccer. And trying to hang out with older kids and they were working at that soccer store. And I asked for a chance to get a job there. And, you know, if I hadn't asked for that chance, who knows where my life would have gone, but you know, put yourself out there a little bit, stack opportunities and surround yourself with people that are where you want to be. So what were, what were your friends doing at 17? I mean, were they like getting high in the corner or something, smoking a little ganja? Yeah, I I, you know, I, they were, man, they were knuckleheads. They, um, a bunch of them went and as their senior prank went and spray painted our high school. And thank God I wasn't around for that. Cause they all had to pay like $500 each to wow. have it all blasted. I'm like, I just, I, and then when I get to college, I was working for that same place. I would schedule my classes so I could go to work in the morning for a couple hours, go to a couple of classes, go back to work for a couple hours, go to a couple of classes and then go work until they closed. And then there was other times where I said, you know what, let's change up the store. And I would go, after all of that, tear the store apart with a couple friends and a couple beers, remodel the whole store until like four or five in the morning and come back the next day and have a whole brand new store to shop in and a new shopping experience and a new everything. I mean, it was just, it was crazy, but it was, 
I loved, I loved the business. I love, you know, customer service and making sure that people felt like this unique experience. It, it, it sounds like you were a lot more mature than, you, than your peers at 17. Um, what Maybe in the think? business aspect, but in every other aspect. <laughs> oh, <still> okay, okay. <laughs> there's, there's the disclaimer right there. <laughs> it was just soccer. Soccer was, I love soccer. Yeah. That was probably yeah. what did it. Um, so uh, a lot of our listeners also are building their own business. A lot of them are just starting. Um, this podcast is fairly new, not extremely new, but it's it's still uh, growing legs and everything. Rob and I had some some tech issues that we won't discuss right here, but um, we worked it out to get this going for you guys. So do you have any advice for people just starting out, like some of the challenges you had starting out, some of the mental blocks you might have had starting out? Just generic advice, some practical info um, our listeners could use starting their business. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a balance between running the business and promoting the business. I mean, you know, I like to do things myself. I, I know what my quality is. I know what I'm capable of. Um, so I don't have, I don't do big, you know, ventures. And, you know, my wife and I run the uh, charter business. We, I did the screen printing business. I had a couple of employees that sort of kind of worked out. My mom ended up helping out a lot with the screen printing business, which was amazing. I got to spend five days a week with her. And, um, you know, if you're just starting out, look, every single dollar needs to stay in the business until you have cash. I think a lot of people, you know, make their first sale and they go celebrate and spend a bunch of money. And it's just, then they're scrambling from, from check to check and bill to bill. And it's, my dad likes to say, you have to earn the right to grow and you really have to get it established before you can spread out into other things. I am the idea guy. And so when I start the screen printing business, I'm like, oh, we can do that. La, 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 la. And even with this business, we can go here, we can go here, we can go here, we can go here. It's like you have to master the first thing, get that revenue set and consistent so that you can say, okay, I'm going to pull 10% of the revenue, set it aside until I have some cash, and then I'm going to try this other thing. And I think a couple of times we, you know, try to chase a shiny penny and uh, it's cost us time and money. And, um, you know, it, we half-assed our way into some of the ideas that we've been trying to release because we didn't have the, the game plan. We didn't have the money. We just kind of said, well, maybe this. And so focus on the first thing and definitely make sure that it can pay for itself before you pull a dollar out. Like I, I still reinvest most every dollar that comes into the business back into the business and it's seven years in. So, you know, it's don't pull it out until you can actually pull it out. But always <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, like I'm hearing, cause I, it, it reminds me of that saying, um, you chase two rabbits, you, you get none. I'm not, Rabbit chickens is one of them. Is rabbits or chickens? <laughs> one of them. Bill, oh, either. Sounds about right. <laughs> so, um, how how many business have 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 you started total? Have how many have succeeded? Have you had any that um, didn't work out? And you say, you know, let me just get this over with, scrap this, start fresh. Like, how 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 does that happen for you? Um. So, Linda and I are selling our third business in 12 years. Um, I haven't really started one that hasn't worked. Um, I mean, she, like her gym, she started, uh, the thing that I helped her do was encourage her. So she had a corporate job, six pack ripped shredded abs always her whole life. And everybody would be like, Hey, you know, how do you get abs? Uh, and she was always into fitness. So I said, well, why don't you get into that? Like, do it. Like you love it. Just do it. Who cares about the money? And so she started in the spring train and said, Hey, I'm going to start. She, you know, while she was traveling for work, she got certified as a personal trainer. She started in the spring one night a week with some friends and said, Hey, I'm doing, I'm doing classes now. And then by the end of the summer in one summer, she went from one night a week with six people to five nights a week with six people plus two nights a week with an additional six people. She quit her corporate job by the end of the summer that was paying a lot of money and had five-star accommodations around the world and started a gym. And 
built this little business that she loved. And, you know, it was because of her that it was there. So it didn't fail in the fact that it ran out of money. We decided to move to Los Angeles and there was just no way to transfer that to somebody else. So we closed that down. But other than that, we've exited from every business. And as hard as it is for a lot of people, the advice that I've gotten and that I use now since I've sold so many, you know, three, four businesses is don't put your name in the business. You can't sell Linda's personal training shop to Mike because that doesn't make any sense. So all of my companies have never had my name in it. I have go tireless. I have million dollar collar, dude, custom printing, get off your kitchen table. You can transfer a business that just has a name that tells what the business is. Focus more on the name of the business, explaining the business than it being, you know, Linda's personal training. Hmm. I love it. I love it. That, um, I don't know, was that instinctual for you to just think of that? Or were there like mentors involved who say, hey, if you start this business, don't name it. Like, were there any mentors who kind of guided you as as you were growing? Yeah, my dad learned that one the hard way. He had, it was his name on the business. And then it slowly dwindled from his, basically his whole name down to his, just his last name. But still it's, you know, he's retired. My sister works there still, but somebody else is running it. And it's just a little bit awkward that his business name is out there without him attached to it anymore. So I don't know. It's just, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's a little, a lot egotistical, I think, to have your name on it. Like sometimes you read these company names and you're like, you just had to have your name in there. It doesn't make any sense. What's John Coe? John Coe doesn't mean Jack. I don't know what that means. I know what million dollar collar means. At least it means puts me in the right area. John Coe, what the hell is that? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, great. So don't put your name on the business. You have to think of an exit. At some point, you, especially if you're creative and you want to start things, we get into it for three, four years and we're like, okay, what's next? Like, I need to find something else. I need to start. We love to find a niche build a business and then sell to somebody who can grow it and take it out. That's our thing. And, you know, we just having an exit is great. It makes all of that worth that work worthwhile. You know, you get one fat payday. I would also, if you're going to sell, find a way to stay involved. I'm staying involved in the yacht charter business from all the stuff that we built. I'm going to hold a small percentage of the company to help them transition. And that gives me some continued earnings from what we've established. So I didn't do that with my screen printing business. I wish I had, um, but I always find a way to try to hold on to a little something and, you know, stay on board and help them, you know, be successful. So I heard you mention the um, screen printing business and it, it, like when I was looking at, looking at it, like just looking at the story and everything, it evolved over time, um, it, it, but it didn't start out that way. You know, yeah. So, like, how did how did that look, and and what was your um thoughts when it? Hey, it's time for this to change over or something like you know. You have to listen to your customers. You know, I can million dollar collar was originally going to be a dress shirt, and that's not what our customers wanted. That's not what they thought this should be, and so we were able to pivot because I listened to what they had to say. But nude initially was nude clothing company. And so I partnered with artists. I said, instead of having to sell a $5,000 painting, let's take that art, throw it on a t-shirt because this is 2006 and Ed Hardy shirts, graphic t-shirts are like the, the rage. I mean, everybody's buying 80, 90, $100 graphic t-shirts. So I said, let's take your art, put it on a shirt and then sell, you know, limited edition $50 t-shirts. And then you can use that as a way to promote yourself. And then we can go on. Well, artists are terrible self-promoters. So I ended up with all this inventory and not a lot of sales, but sales I did have, people loved the fabric. So then I started making shirts with just a logo, with just the nude logo and no graphics and people liked that. And then because I had the graphics, I taught myself, I met a guy and taught myself how to screen print. And I just told some friends, Hey, I've got screen printing equipment. If you need anything, let me know. And the screen printing business just went nuts. The difference between the two businesses, you know, I'd front $1,500 or $2,000 for a run of shirts and have to sell that and try to get that money back. 
Well, a screen printing client would come to me and say, I need 50 shirts for this and pay me. You know, I'd front the $50 worth of product, print it, and then go sell it to them for $500. And I was like, well, this is a better plan. <laughs> I can front 500 back. I'm good with that. Right. And I fought it and fought it and fought it. And, you know, finally someone said to me, dude, stop chasing what you think you wanted this money is like come like i what i never advertised my, my screen printing business i never mm -hmm. marketed it the only thing i did that separated me from everybody else is i cut out the label that was inside and i screen printed my own label on the inside so every single shirt hundred thousand shirts over the years had a nude custom printed label on the inside so everybody knew what shirt it was everybody knew where it came from my website was on there it was easy to find me and it did the marketing for me because I did a great job printing. I never, ever, ever missed a deadline. And my pricing was fair. Mm -hmm. Is that, um was that like Brandon? Did that pay off in the a, in a long run? Because I know now you with Go Tyler's, you have, um, are, are you still doing that with the uh, custom um, inside? Am I, am I correct with that? So Go Tyler's just is pivoting right now. Right. Um, my factory can digitally print any logo on fabric. And so instead of your traditional left chest embroidered, you know, trade show shirt, mm -hmm. I can take your logo and print it in the fabric and actually build it into the shirt. So it's inside the placket, it's inside the collar band, it's inside the cuffs. And so it's your branded shirt. So that's what Go Tyler's is going to be going forward. We were going to make our own shirts for a little minute. We sold out of them. They went great. We learned a lot about the process, but I found a niche and I'm going to exploit the hell out of it. And that Go Tyler's is going to be a game changer in the ASI industry. And uh, I mean, anybody who's looking, any hotels, restaurants, car dealerships, insurance companies, anybody who's got... 50 or more employees or 20 or more employees need a couple shirts. It's a 50 shirt minimum, 50 bucks a shirt. You get a great, insane quality shirt with your logo built right in, not some afterthought. And um, million dollar collar, How, like what, what's going on with, with that, um, that business? So it's cranking. We finally found an ad company that knows how to speak our language. Um, we're selling insane. We're coming up on 400,000 units sold. Um, we've been trying like hell to find somebody to license it. We've talked to every major brand. We've talked to the brands that make sense. We've talked to brands that don't make sense. And, you know, I've heard a thousand no's, but we just keep going. Like I said, I focus on solutions. And so I talk to a brand and they say, well, you got to talk to our manufacturer. So I talk to the manufacturer and they say, well, we're just order takers. You got to talk to the brand. Fine. I'm going to build a brand that's so big that I can go to the manufacturer and say, hey, make me my shirt with my technology built in. And they're going to have to address this. And so one way or another, I'm going to get my foot in the door of these major manufacturers and they're going to start offering it to all their clients. And now our factory is offering it to their clients. And so on a smaller scale, it started and, you know, we're going to see where it's going to go. But it's a game changer. There's no reason a million dollar collar should be in every single dress shirt. It's the biggest advancement in dress shirts since non-iron in the 1950s. And every shirt's got collar stays, which came out in 1888. So they just don't change a lot and they sell a lot of them. I mean, you can still button all the way up and wear a tie. There's no reason that my product shouldn't be in every single dress shirt on the planet. Yeah, I agree. If you, you well, you guys won't be able to see the video, but um, I'll, I'll post the link so you guys can see the difference from a flaccatitis shirt a shirt infected with flaccatitis versus one of these million dollar collars and i mean it's it's million dollar collar the name says it all um <laughs> rob of uh, any challenges you guys having today because what i'm getting really from this and i want to thank you so much for like just pouring out into um our audience you you have no idea how grateful we are um it sounds like like i'm getting um um, you hit the ground running, never look back, putting together million piece puzzles, um, saw one issued, hey, I don't like my collar, it, it, it's, it's not right, and like practically created a market. 
I mean, someone may even say starch. Why don't I get get starch? Listen, educate yourself. This is yeah. yeah starch burns <laughs> off in like forty five minutes. That's five hundred year old technology. It's time to upgrade. Right, right. So, are there like any challenges you guys having? Because I know it's, it's something every day with business. Um, what what kind of challenges do you see for your businesses, whether it be million dollar collar, uh, or or anyone, even your yacht business? Like what town, cha- or even personally, what kind of challenges are you guys having uh, today? So the biggest challenge that we have with million dollar collar is it's sewn in. So we sell all over the world uh, internationally with no problem because everybody there in other countries is used to tailoring their clothes to fit really, really well. Americans typically buy stuff off the rack and either it fits or it doesn't. They buy it or they don't. And so this little alteration is the biggest challenge. Um, But, you know, we're in 650 dry cleaners and tailors. Again, focus on the solution. If people are going to dry cleaners, let's go to the dry cleaners and offer them this service. They can make some money on it. And the customer that's paying somebody else to clean their clothes probably cares enough about the way they look. They're probably going to like our product. So we go to dry cleaners and tailors and spend our time with them. Um, so there's always different challenges. I mean, with the yacht charter business, we have to deal with the city of Los Angeles, which is a nightmare. Um, it, the, we have to go to one commercial dock and it's run by people that don't know anything about boats. And so, you know, we deal with that challenge, but um, you know, there's always something, but you know, like I said, focus on the solution. You know, everybody's got problems, everybody's got challenges, but if you focus on the solution, then things don't matter. Okay. Uh, well, any anything else you got going on that you want the people to know, um, whether it be business or like, and how and how can people find you? You know, if they want to get m- more info on these beautiful uh, collars. So, uh, Million Dollar Collar is the site. Go to milliondollarcollar.com. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or send me an email, Rob at milliondollarcollar.com. I am happy to help anybody that is true to you know building a business. Uh, The one thing I learned from the mentors that I've had is if you're going to waste my time or use my time, uh, don't waste it. Uh, Mentors, if they've gotten to a level of success, they've bought time and time is the most important thing to those guys. And so they want to help people. I've, I've been very fortunate the paths I've crossed. Like I said, I like to stack opportunities and put myself in situations where uh, things can go in my favor, but I've always asked for help and I've never let those guys down. I'm willing to follow through. I mean, one of my closest friends and advisors was an original founder of Expedia.com. And Ooh. he, to this day, like, dude, I just know you guys hustle. Like he just, he watches Linda and I, he watches how hard we work. And if we come to him and say, Hey, we're struggling with this. What do you think? It doesn't fall on deaf ears. We follow through and say, Hey, we tried that out. This is what happened. What do you think about that? And then it's a conversation. Linda, my wife, is an amazing uh, Hollywood stunt woman. And she got to where she was so fast because she met people that have been doing it. And they said, go do this. And then she'd come back and say, hey, I did that. Now what? And they'd be like, damn, nobody ever does what I say. And so now they're more like willing to you know, introduce. You know, Our friend that started Expedia is willing to introduce me to anybody because he knows that I'm not going to, one, embarrass him, two, I'm not going to you know, make a fool of myself, and three, I'm going to follow through with whatever I say I'm going to do with that person that he introduces me to. So you got to find, I mean, you know, I'm a big Grant Cardone fan. He says, your net work is your net worth. And if you hang around with you know, my soccer friends and knuckleheads that weren't doing business, I mean, I was... I was the poor kid in a really rich community and you know, those kids didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to worry about anything. I had to share a bedroom with my 12 year old sister when I was in high school and because that's all we could afford and walk to school. And, but I was around people, you know, my mom made us live in that neighborhood because she wanted us to be around people that were successful and you can either fall down the rat trap of, and uh, you know, well, they're rich and they get to do this and they get to go up to lunch every day. I would, we, we had open lunch at my high school. I packed a lunch because I couldn't afford to go spend five bucks a day. My mom couldn't afford for me to spend five bucks a day going to lunch. So these kids are all going to all these restaurants. I would walk around with my jacket with a banana in one pocket and a soda in another pocket and a sandwich in another pocket and a granola bar in another pocket. 
I would just sit and eat while these kids are all like dining on all the stuff. And it was, you know, you can fall down that trap and be like, Oh, poor me. And what was me? And, or say, you know what? I want that. You know, if I'm going to have kids, I want that for my kids and butt and sacrifice. And, you know, we lost a lot of friends over the years because we would do the work on our, we, you know, we had a commercial building. We renovated it. I renovated my house from the studs up and redid everything. So, you know, it takes time to do that. I would go and spend that time. I would rather do that than go out and party and spend all my money on booze. Did I miss out on some, some laughs? Sure. But, you know, in the long run, I mean, we're living a pretty good life because of the six sacrifices that we've made so far. And I don't think enough people are willing to sacrifice. They, they feel like they're going to miss out on all these things. And, you know, you'll find people that are successful that are just as fun to hang out with that share your mindset. It's better to find people that follow who you really are or who are like you really are than to try to fake being somebody that you're not. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think it's something about the guy. Um, I, I heard it once a, a while back. It's something about the guy who had to come up on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches than the guy that um, had steaks for dinner. Or the, it's, it's, it's something like with the story, with, with the journey, you know, it, it just makes the, it, it gives it that, that it factor. That's kind of hard to explain, but those humble beginnings, I think, um, yeah, sometimes they could just either propel you or most of the time they should propel you. Hopefully they would always propel you. You know what I mean? You never know what somebody's going through. Look, we like to laugh, you know, me and my brother and my sister are about having beanies and weenies three nights a week. I mean, how do you feed a family of three kids on four bucks is two cans of, you know, beans and some hot dogs in a casserole dish. And oh, beanies and weenies, weenies. you know, it's, but that's what we ate. That's what we had. You know, my, my dad built a business from nothing in my lifetime to, um, $35 $35 million a year in revenue. And it started with a loan from my grandpa for some, for $700. And there was some very, very, very tough times in there. Um, and so I'm me being the oldest, I didn't get Jack growing up because he had nothing. And then as my younger sister is coming up, you know, Oh, I could lend you some money to buy a car for high school. Oh, you sure you need a car to go to college. What? What? I, I had to pay for a third of my college. She's paying it for all their colleges, but <laughs> did live from nothing to success in this lifetime. And so, you know, we know what it's right. like to have money. And I know what it's like to have something. And I'll tell you what, busting my butt and losing a couple of friends to have what my dad's built and recreate that in this generation. Did he do anything he wants? And I was able to finally give him a gift that he can't get it for himself. So um, mm-hmm. that's what it's all about for me. Um, what are some of what are some of the things you think you might have missed? Because I, I see um that that reminds me also of like delayed gratification, you know. So um, what are some things? Because because pe- a lot of people just want to have a good time right now. Like I need it now. Um, what are some things like uh, some real things? Like hey, my my buddy's having a party, I can't make it. You know, like what are some things that you know? Like hey, man, I missed it, but. Oh, well, um, I think the biggest thing is travel. You know, we, we've, my wife and I've never really been on a trip where it's six or eight friends get together and go on a trip together. Like we don't do that. We travel by ourselves. Um, and that's only more recently, uh, but we've never really done that. And we just have a hard to like once or twice, you, you know, we can go out and have just a great time and, and spend a couple hundred bucks and, you know, do the club thing. But it's just, that's really not our scene. We're really homebodies. Um, I don't know. We don't do like the crazy, like my partner, my business partner does these like crazy bachelor parties in Vegas and spends 10 grand at the pool and cabanas. And I, I just never have, I, I don't know. It's just, I don't feel like I've missed out on it. I mean, that's the thing that they do. I just don't feel like I've missed out on that because it just, I don't know. It's not really whatever. I'm building a pool in my backyard so I can have those parties anytime I want. Right, right. And go to Vegas. I'm building Vegas back here right now. (laughs) Vegas is coming to me. Bring (laughs) Vegas to you. 
Are, are you going to have gambling back there and everything too? No, that's the other thing, man. I work way too hard. To <laughs> Way too okay. hard. They build Vegas on winners. They build Vegas on losers. And I am not. I've you know I've gone there a couple of times and lost two, uh, three, four, five hundred bucks. I'm like, this is freaking stupid. I am not. Nope. Nope. Not my thing. Okay. Not my thing. That's way too hard. He. I want y'all to know. Rob had to say that he's an Atlanta judge. He can't gamble in his backyard. <laughs> So no, there will be no gambling in his backyard. Just so you guys, okay, but we're putting in a volleyball court. We've got you know bags, and we got all kinds of stuff going in. My barbecue, can't wait for my big old barbecue. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm loving it, Rob, and I'm loving those collars, man. Any um, like final thoughts or anything before before you let you go? Well, we do have a question that we like to kind of dive into. Um, you know, before we, because I want to be respectful of your time. I I could keep going. Um. We're off scripted. I had a few questions written down, but um, like I'm just going. I want to use this time to absorb as much info as I can. And, you know, it's, it's, you don't always get the opportunity to speak with someone who has built businesses, who has the experience, who kind of is in the direction that you are propelling yourself. Someone once told me, um, just point yourself in the right direction and keep moving forward. But I still know that time is your most valuable asset. And I like how you mentioned earlier that um, your wife would get some advice, go do it and say, what now? You know, like, what's next? And they're like, whoa, you're actually doing this. So, yeah, like I'm not rushing anything like that, but I just want to let like people know that, um, hey, man, we got Rob Kessel in the building, million dollar college, and they, and they got him. But what do you do for fun? you know, in your downtime, if there's any. You know what? So we rented in Los Angeles for the last five and a half years, uh, moved to Georgia on a total whim. Like sometimes it's just do and then think later. Uh, my wife is here for seven weeks working on a Marvel thing here in, in Georgia. And I said, look, we got to get out of California. These taxes and these policies are just insane. Let's, let's move. And she found a house on February 28th. We had an accepted offer on March 1st. We closed on March 11th. And I was in a truck driving our stuff from Los Angeles on March 14th. So within two weeks of deciding, like, wrap up everything in Los Angeles, two dogs in the truck, moving to, to Georgia. So now we own a house. Um, my downtime is making this house what I, our dream home. And so I built a little shop in the garage. I've been buying all tools again. So I literally get all my stuff done for million dollar collar and go tiles that I need to in a day. And it's, I, I like to say I traded in my 50 foot zero turn yacht for a 61 inch zero turn mower because I got five acres. And so now I, once a week, I'm out there for three, four hours cutting the grass and, you know, we're building a deck and doing all this stuff around the house and trying to make it our own. So my downtime is to make this house our dream home. Um, but other than that, we really don't do downtime. I mean, we go and go and go until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And then it's just like crash, get some sleep and start over and do it all over again. So I like having multiple things on the plate. You know, I have a million dollar collar I have to concentrate on. I have the boat that I have to concentrate on. So it just... If I had to do the same thing all day, every day with the same business, it would just get, it, it just wouldn't be any fun for me. So I like having, you know, my hands on a bunch of different things. All right. All right. Yeah. Just, just keep moving forward. I'm loving it. Um, any final thoughts um, you want to leave people, any um, thing you want them to hey, go check this out before we. Uh, you can um, do it. You can do it. You can absolutely do anything. This is the greatest country in the world. Opportunity is everywhere. You're going to hear a thousand no's. I've heard 10,000 no's on a product that makes, if I can talk to you, everybody's like, this should be in every shirt. This is the greatest product ever. And you go to a talk to a brand and they're like, oh. And so look, everybody has adversity. Everybody has challenges. Focus on the solutions and make whatever life you want. Look, go to Million Dollar College. People are interested. They'll go check it out. If not, then you know they're not. And hopefully they get a piece of advice that works and helps right, them. Right. I've been fortunate in my life, but again, I, I put myself in situations where I have to. So, mm -hmm. and just kept going. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was near death. I mean, I was ready to drive. We lived on the bluffs in in Milwaukee, and I could have drove a car right off the bluff and called it when I was 16, 17 years old. It was rough. And, you know, you can only get one shot at this life. So Mm -hmm. you you said, like, like you, is that something that I don't know that you were attempting to do? Like, you, you, I I didn't kind of catch that because the audio wasn't attempting. I just, you know, it crossed my mind. You know, it was. I had some rough times and, you know, the one person in my life that I wanted to have, you know, love and support from, I wasn't even talking to because we were battling so bad. So it mm-hmm. was really rough with my dad and I, and, you know, I don't, I'm not a sob story, but you know what, everybody's got something going on in their life that they can use to hold in front of them. I mean, I got to mm-hmm. a point where I was going to change my name because I was so distraught over our wow. relationship. As a legacy, I'm the third. I'm Robert Richard Kessler the third. And so it's just, it's really rough. You know, thank God I had a great stepdad and my mom's always there and, uh, you know, things worked out. But I just, to me, to give up is just never really a thing for me. And I'm insanely stubborn when it comes to that. So uh, mm-hmm. I just, just couldn't do it. I can't, I couldn't imagine. So, of course, it crossed my mind. I mean, I don't, I, right. I find it weird if somebody, if anybody out there never crosses anybody's mind ever in their life, I think it's, I, I don't, I can't relate to that because it's crossed my mind, you know, a couple times. Mm-hmm. That is heavy, but yeah, like you said, you, um, you lose when you, when you give up and I really admire that about you. Like, that's really something I'm really taking away from this experience because being fully transparent we're still growing. I'm still developing. I'm still getting better. Um, as far as just kind of extracting that genius in, inside of everyone. And yeah, man, <laughs> just thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful. Yeah, dude, it was great. You know, it, I don't like the scripted stuff, the same old questions, like, look, find out where the conversation goes. You're going to get a lot more authentic message from people. Right. You know, just, you're really good at asking questions. I can never do a podcast because I can't, I can answer questions all day. And when people talk to me and they say, Hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? I can answer that. But I don't, I don't think about the right questions to ask people. And you, it's a gift to be able to do that. So just ask questions and, Stay in the moment, and I think you're going to have a great podcast. There's no question. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much. Um, Really appreciate this. Really appreciate you coming up here, sharing your expertise. My audience appreciates it. And, man, I'm just grateful. Um, And thank you. Hey, I love sharing it. You know, teaching is the best way to learn. Uh, So it reminds me sometimes to just get out and do some of the things that I preach. And it brings it back up. So I'm happy to be here. If anybody's got any questions, reach out. I'm happy to assist if I can. Uh, But go do it, man. Change the world or change your neighborhood or change your block or change your house. Like every little bit helps. Right, right. And you can find them at rob at milliondollarcollar.com. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another from hood the good banger with my man rob kessler hope you enjoyed it be sure to check out milliondollarcollar.com gotylist.com you can hit my man on the email rob at milliondollarcollar.com check out the show notes it's a lot going on here let me know what you think like subscribe comment all that good stuff from hood to good baby